Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Baby, it's cold outside. I gotta go away. Baby, it's cold outside. This evening is big. I'm hoping that you dropped in. Very nice. Hey, thanks for being here. Merry Christmas from the Mike Broomhead Show. Happy Hanukkah as well. Um, we had an interesting conversation this morning with Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema, and um, it, it, she is uh, she's obviously made national news with the change that she has made uh, as far as her party affiliation, which which got national headlines and and, and warranted that. But uh, the other things that have have gone on, and I've told this story before, when Senator Cinema ran for the Senate seat, based on the history and what I've known of Senator Cinema and her time in the state legislature and her time in the House of Representatives, when she said she was going to be independent i did i didn't believe her i thought it was a i thought it was a brilliant campaign ploy i really did and it turned out to be that she won the seat but i thought it was just that um senator cinema has shown herself to be independent and and again the majority of the times the senator voted she voted with the democratic party with the democratic members of the senate but on some key issues there were there was a break she broke from them when it came to the filibuster she said that she was not going to vote to end it which made a big it was a big deal because of 50 50 split in the United States Senate. So, um, it was an interesting conversation because it's the first one I've had with her since she decided to, to change her party affiliation. And um, she shifted. I asked her about it. She answered the question, and she shifted into the things that she is working on. And again, she's got a bipartisan bill where she is working on immigration and some things. So I want you to hear first her kind of overview of the things that she has been working on um, recently in the United States Senate. So as you know, we've got to pass the uh, NDAA, which is the big budget for our military. I'm working to try and help get that across the finish line today. Um, and then we've got to finish the budget by next week. So I'm wholeheartedly focused on those issues. Of course, um, Arizonans know that I'm still continuing to work on issues like immigration and um, the border crisis. And I'm just going to stay focused on that work. And so the majority of the conversation had to do with the border because she she chairs that border subcommittee and uh, has been, you know, kind of she's had the ear of the White House. And so we talked about this this and this crisis. And here's what she said about this. And as the chair of the border subcommittee in the United States Senate for the last two years, I have repeatedly spoken with Secretary Mayorkas, other officials at the White House about the crisis at our border. You know, this is not new for us in Arizona. We have been paying the price for the federal government's failure to address immigration and the border crisis for almost my entire life. So this is where, again, she has kind of crossed over and been critical of uh, a Democratic president. And interestingly enough, we talked about this a bit yesterday. It has gotten so bad at the border and the fear of what's going to happen with the wave of people that will come when Title 42 expires because a judge made them uh, get rid of it. Uh, what is going to happen? Even Gavin Newsom, a very staunch liberal Democrat in California, where there are many sanctuary cities in that state, is saying we are going to be overwhelmed this is going to be that bad. And uh, so I, I talked to her about her piece of legislation that she is sponsoring with uh, Senator Tillis, and I asked her about that bill. Here's what the major parts of it are. Senator Tillis and I first extend the Title 42 authorities for one year. And we do that because we know it will take time to set up changes to the asylum structure and to reinforce our men and women who work for Customs and Border Patrol pr- right now. 
the immigration system in America, it's something, again, I, I talk about this so often. It, we should, as Americans, with the number of people from around the world that want to come and live the American dream, um, we should have an immigration system that, as Americans, we are largely proud of. We should have an immigration system that is allowing good people. I'm not saying wealthy people, good people from around the world, and some of them wealthy, some of them not wealthy, that will come here and build their American dream. We should have a system that allows good people to come here and allows them to add to and contribute to our economy. We should allow them to come and build their own economy, to build their own dreams in an American way and become another one of the American dream stories that so many naturalized citizens have done in this country. We should have that. We should have, in my opinion, we should have a guest worker program so that for industries where you aren't finding Americans that are doing jobs, I understand when people say we don't want jobs taken from American workers. I agree with you. But we also understand whether it comes to agriculture, which is one of the things that the senator talked about was uh, agriculture. And, and, and we'll, I'll let you hear it. This is her talking about the importance of farm jobs here in Arizona. Yuma is responsible for nearly 100 percent of winter lettuce and winter greens for the entire country. And, you know, farming isn't seasonal in Arizona. We farm year round and we can't get enough American born talent to do this work in our farms. It's backbreaking, difficult work. And so that's another example of a challenge that isn't addressed by our legislation, but sorely and desperately needs to be solved. And, we, you know, we talked about the complexity of the issue. It's not just farm workers. I, I brought up the construction industry, and she echoed those sentiments as well and talked about that. High-tech jobs where we have visas for people coming to this country. I think if we had a guest worker program, it would solve a lot of our issues at the border right now. You would not have the huge number, huge number of illegitimate asylum claims being made by people, and they wouldn't have to be spending thousands and thousands of dollars enriching the cartel tells to get here illegally if we had a guest worker program that was thriving especially at a time when we are hearing uh, i played earlier jerome powell uh, from the fed talking about the, the job market imbalance listen this is what he said about the imbalance in jobs although job vacancies have moved below their highs and the pace of job gains has slowed from earlier in the year the labor market continues to be out of balance with demand substantially exceeding the supply of available workers so if you want to solve that problem, which is a revenue problem possibly for the uh, the, the Fed, for the Treasury, I should say, if you uh, want to solve the problem for employers and you want we want to get these things done, you want to start seeing enough homes being built in Arizona to house the people that need them, there's an answer. Part of this is in the immigration system, and the senator echoed that this morning, talking about the need for all of this. So I asked her about the timetable on this bill. What is the timetable? And the reality is, is that we're running out of – we're running out of runway. Um, we are in the middle of negotiating final touches to the NDAA right now. It is my hope that we can finish that legislation today. But that means we have to go directly to the budget, which is called an omnibus. And that will take four or five days to work through, um, at the least. And, uh, you know, I don't see us starting that before, you know, Monday. So this is where... Uh, you know, th this is that crossing of the aisle. This is where we talk about people working together. And uh, and and this is where the senator said she's got this bipartisan effort working, working with colleagues on both sides of the aisle to get something like this done. Effectively, the border here for Arizona, it's such an important piece of legislation. What is going to happen? And when you talk about dealing with dreamers, we are creating another generation that's going to be a nightmare for our children and our grandchildren to clean up. And we 
should take responsibility for it, do the hard work, and fix it. And Senator Cinema echoed those sentiments this morning. It was a good conversation. Um, next time when we have some more time, maybe we talk on some areas where we disagree on things. And it's fun to have that conversation with her. But I appreciate her coming on the show and kind of giving us an update from D.C. Said she'll come back, and I would love to have her do that with us. What we're going to do in a moment is we're going to talk about a new STEM program in the East Valley. It's happening on one of the campuses of EVIT out in the East Valley, and it's enticing children and exposing children to projects in aeronautics and and being pilots and robotics and young kids now getting the interest in going down that road. I want to explain to you why this is such an important part of education, why I think it's essential and why I think it's critical and what I think it's going to do. We'll talk about all of it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. This is uh, Gatos at the KTAR Christmas party doing karaoke. I just want to let you hear a little bit of it as we... uh, uh, Merry Christmas from the Mike Broomhead Show. We appreciate you being with us. Um, that's so distracting. I just love this. It still makes me giggle. I've heard it a hundred times. Uh, thanks for being here. There is a new program that is happening out in the East Valley. It's being hosted at one of the campuses of EVIT, the East Valley Institute of Technology. And it is helping a lot of people. It is... Um, exposing kids to things like robotics. And I'm going to read a little bit of it from the story from the Mesa Tribune. Um, it is it was, it was started by a guy that was once a baggage handler at Southwest Airlines. He is now a commercial pilot that runs this event that teaches kids how to fly with the aviation and aeronautics and their dreams. Um, and the quote is, this event is not just for those kids, talking about the few kids that are interested in the sciences in a classroom. He said it's also for the other 30 students in your class because how do you know what you want to do if you've never been exposed to it. The event is engaging people of all ages and their career, about careers in aviation, aeronautics, aerospace engineering, robotics, unmanned aerial vehicles, rocketry, and more sciences, technology, and engineering, and the math-related fields. Um, when I start talking about the CTEDs, uh, the Career Technical Education Districts, and especially EVIT because of my affiliation with them, my association with them, knowing the board members and how they run things and the mindset behind it, and I've, I've been on the campus so you know a bunch of times and met with some of the teachers, and the teachers are experts, are can, have come out of their field of training, certified teachers that are in the classroom teaching, but they're teaching children skill sets. And I, for me, it would have made my life easier if I had I, – I know that I would have been a better student had I had this kind of an opportunity. And what I mean by that is exposing me to something that I was good at and I was interested in because I just wanted to work. I had absolutely no goal as to a career. All I, all I ever wanted to be when I was a kid was a cop. That's what I wanted to be, and that wasn't happening for me. And at 18 years old, you had to be 21 to be a cop anyway. And so I really was kind of bouncing around, just figuring I'm going to work hard, and you know I'm going to be a strong back and a weak mind, and I'm going to do whatever is necessary to make a living. I worked in restaurants. I was making good money and tips, and I thought, man, I've got the, the world by the tail. And I was not concerned about a direction or a career. I got lucky at 18 years old in June of 1985. I was given an opportunity to work on a job site as a helper, as an electrical helper. 
helper. I wasn't even an apprentice yet. I was just didn't even know anything about it. No, no tools, no nothing. Just show up, dig ditches, climb in attics, go get stuff. That's what I had to do. But I picked up on it very quickly. And I learned very quickly when I started to want to be a journeyman electrician and I wanted to start running work and I wanted to start being a leader that I realized that the math that I was taught in school – geometry and algebra were key parts of that industry. Had I known that at 14 years old when I was saying to my mother when I wasn't going to school, and if I had said, if someone had shown me, you're going to use this the rest of your life and here's how. At 14 or 15, I'd have been a different person, I think. I would have taken my education more seriously. So this program is exposing young people to career paths at a very young age. And sometimes it's adults, but I'm focused on the kids here. And it's showing these kids what's possible. So you get some kid that all of a sudden becomes starry-eyed at airplanes and wants to be a pilot. And there's a pilot standing there saying, I was you one day. And you can get here. It's possible. And then that kid realizes how math is so important to living that dream. Now math has a purpose. It's not just a chore. I used this analogy earlier when I talked about this. If you say to yourself, I just want to get in better shape. Okay. If you say, I'm committed that six months from now I'm going to run a half marathon. When you have a goal, it's easier to chase than it is to just have some nebulous idea. Someday I want to grow up and make a lot of money. Okay. I want to grow up. I want to be a pilot. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be an engineer. I want to be in robotics. I want to make robots. And if that's your dream, if being exposed to that, if that becomes your dream, you now are working with people in a situation. It's one of the reasons why I love EBIT. You're working with people that have earned that you know, that knowledge that they have because they've done it themselves. They're passing that knowledge on to you. You're passionate about what you're doing. And while you're spending your time in a classroom, when you're still doing the core classroom work, you realize every one of those classes is a step that you're taking toward your goal. I, 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 I mentioned this, but I want to tell it again. It was so it, it was so great. They had a, a big thing going on at EVIT at their main campus in Mesa. And there was a competition going on in the welding class. It was – they had kids that were in the high school welding class. And there was the adult education program where adults were learning the welding craft to go on to be all of them with the dream – you know, the idea of going on. And this competition required them to design something, and it was a fire pit. You had to design it. Put it on a blueprint and then build it so that the the scale was exact. It was right on. And that was part of how closely to your blueprint does your does your piece look. So they designed it and then they built it. So you use your skill as a welder, but they had to use math. They had to use all of these other skills that they were learning in the classroom in order to build these projects. It was a, it was pretty incredible. And to watch them do that and then you can see you can see it click in young people. Oh, this is why I've got to learn geometry. Oh, this is why this is so important for me. You have a goal now that when you get – and many of them, many of these kids go on to college, but the dream continues with them. 
And that's, I just love these programs. I think this is a brilliant idea to expose people to the possibilities. And then once one of those possibilities is kind of ingrained in you and you say, this is my dream now, I want to do that so much. Now you start really focusing your life. It's more important. Listen, kids are your attention span of a gnat. We all understand that. That's part of teenage years. But imagine directing that energy where at least in this area of their life, I want to do this and now you've given me a path to do it. And that's why these CTEDs are so important because there are many, many people that take that CTED, take that experience at one of these career technical education districts and they go out into the field of labor or, you know, in field of choice. And they become experts in it and they grow a business. Many of them take those skill sets and go on to college, but they use those skill sets as they're progressing on their dream. This just kind of sets it on fire for them. And I think this program exposing these kids to the sciences is going to do nothing but help kids in that area. So I appreciate it. I just wanted to tell the story once again, and uh, I hope they keep up the good work. Um, Abe Hamaday, we're going to go back to a topic we talked about earlier, um, uh, the election challenge. But also there is a story about a man from Ohio. It's another person from out of state making threats toward election officials. What is this world coming to? We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Shed the light into the little land. Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little land. Hey, thanks for being here. Merry Christmas on the White Broomhead Show. Again, that's off the third day Christmas offering CD. 2006 is when it came out. I'm sure you can get it digitally as well. But I think, I personally think, it's the best Christmas album I've ever heard. If you want to be in the Christmas spirit, you should, it is, it's an amazing album. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm going to have to start getting royalties for my advertisement for Third Day. Uh, not that they need my help, but Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah as well. Um, I want to start. I talked about this earlier about I had a conversation yesterday with a big group of people. I spoke to a big Republican club yesterday for their holiday luncheon, and uh, it was a great experience. It was a, I just love being in rooms like that where people are kind of like minded and energized and things. And, you know, we talked about unity and we talked about unifying Um but I think the idea also can be said for everybody. It doesn't have to be a rift within a political party or anything else. It's It should be all of us collectively. It's one of the things that's frustrating to me. Uh, Democrats don't trust the government and neither do Republicans. But somehow with the battle lines have been drawn between us that we fight in the streets and the politicians get away with what they get away with. There's a reason why the United States Congress is immensely unpopular. And so we we could make a lot of different changes if as citizens we realized once the teams have been chosen, once we have the House and the Senate in place, we should then be working collectively together to hold them accountable for the promises they made and to get things done. Uh, had a great conversation with Senator Cinema. Earlier this morning, we're going to play more of it later on in the show. You can go listen to the entire interview on the podcast uh, a little bit later. And it is it is fascinating to me that when you are if you listen to this is the for me anyway, this is the disconnect within political parties. How dare you work across the aisle? 
You're censured. We don't like you. We don't want you. As a matter of fact, we are publicly telling everybody we don't like you. And that's what happened to Senator Sinema when she was a Democrat. Um, when it comes to elections, I believe the candidates deserve their day in court. I, listen, Abe Hamaday deserves a day in court. No doubt in my mind that he does. I don't know if it's going to change anything. I don't think anything was done intentionally. I don't think that it was stolen from him or anybody else. But when over two and a half million votes have been cast and you are only losing by 511 votes, I would want things done exactly the way. You're talking about a razor-thin margin, and he should have his day in court. I believe Carrie Lake deserves her day in court. This is how the system is supposed to work. We're going to continue down the road of conjecture where people that are saying that the election was stolen and they believe it was are going to point to evidence that they believe is evidence, and it's going to be a social media battle that's going to continue forever. Or, Or it gets in a courtroom. You have the person bringing the charges, the plaintiff in this, the Carrie Lake campaign, bringing in their evidence of wrongdoing, allow the courts to look at it. And when a decision is made, you put a period and you move on. But here's what it has gotten to. And I don't believe – listen, when I I use the phrase election denier, I don't mean it as an insult. I just mean it as an identifier of the people I'm talking about, people that believe that the elections were stolen in 2020. Go back to 2016 or 2022. I've been having a conversation online with someone. It's very respectful. We disagree on a lot of issues. But he's just incensed at this election denial on the right side of the aisle and then is a little bit defensive of Hillary Clinton because she didn't try to sue anybody. No, she wrote a book and she made money on it. It's a grift. 2016 was stolen. We never have the answers. I wrote a book called What Happened, and now she puts out a video about a month ago that says not only that, but the Republicans and the right-wing Supreme Court are colluding to steal the 2024 presidential election. So there is election denial on both sides of the aisle. But this is a chance for the late campaign to do the right thing and go to court. Lay out your evidence. If the courts agree... We live with the results and we figure out what to do with it. If the courts disagree and say they don't see any wrongdoing, there doesn't seem to be any evidence of wrongdoing or certainly not enough evidence of wrongdoing. We live with those results and we move on to 2024. That's the way it's supposed to work. But here's what it's come to. People like this. An Ohio man, his name is Joshua Russell. Now, this is a man that's 44 years old. You're not talking about a 19, 20 year old kid that is still, you know, is still a kid in his mind mentally. Talk about a grown man, 44 years old, allegedly left multiple threatening voicemails, including death threats. Here's one of the quotes from one of the voicemails to an un, um, an unidentified election worker in, in Arizona. This guy did this from Ohio about Arizona. You are a terrorist. You are a derelict criminal. You have a few short months to see yourself behind bars or we will see you to the grave. Now, this guy, if he gets convicted of all of these charges, could spend 20 years in prison. And he's not even from Arizona. But this is what happens We get so incensed. We get so angry. We get so invested. We get so involved in this. You're actually – and I don't know what this – I have no clue what this guy is like. He could be an absolutely reasonable human being in every other aspect of his life. This has him so – and they they believe, they honestly believe that what has happened in Arizona is a threat to the republic. 
a threat to our country as it's as we know it. And so I just think that if we don't have cooler heads prevail, I mean, Abe Hamaday is losing by 511 votes. If I was Abe, I'd be upset. You know, I we always used to say it was an old coaching adage. You never blame it on the referees. You never blame it on the officiating because that is a that's a weak way out. You got to look at what you did wrong. There were plenty of chances to win that game. If you want to focus on a bad call by the referee, look at your mistakes compared to their mistakes, and you're going to be a better player. That's what we used to tell our teams all the time. But we also know that there are times when there are calls that are made that definitely change the game. Now, I know I have a biased view of this, but the pass interference call in the end zone against Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl where Miami Hurricanes, my Miami Hurricanes lost the game on what I thought was a horrible call. Every Ohio State fan out there is telling me I'm crazy, but that call in the minds of Canes fans changed that game for them. It took the game away from them. Nobody is saying it was done intentionally. It was just a bad call. So this is where the questions lie in what's going on in Maricopa County. Let's say Abe Hamaday, they do the recount, they do everything else, and he ends up losing by 500 and something votes out of two and a half million. Can he make a case that the mistakes on Election Day that happened with the printers and everything else caused oh, about five or six hundred people that would have voted him at, at least out of the, what, 17,000 that had issues or at least at places that had issues? Sure, he can make a case for that. Was it intentional or was it just a horrible mistake that day? That's all part of the questions here because the allegations from the late campaign are it's intentional wrongdoing. But you've got to have evidence, and that's what we're, we want to get to the bottom of. But there's never any – there should never be room for threats and violence. Nobody should have to sleep in a different place because of where they stand on an election because they did their job. And I hope that these things end. I hope that these threats end, that the people that that nobody, especially if you agree with them, if you're someone that believes the election was stolen, if you wholeheartedly believe that the election in Maricopa County was rigged, that whatever happened was done intentionally to change votes so Republicans couldn't win in very close races. If you believe that to be true, you should be the angriest at guys like this because it makes all of you look bad. You should be denouncing that kind of violence. All right. I want to talk about a conversation about choices. A big conversation has been going on recently. It's gone into the courts about uh, performing or or performing services for a gay marriage or things that are outside of your religious views. Tables got turned on that. We're going to talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Santa baby, just slip a sable under the tree for me. Hey, thanks for being here. Merry Christmas on the Mike Broomhead Show. Appreciate you spending some time with us today. Happy Hanukkah as well. Um, There's been a little bit, I've used an analogy before. We talk about people's rights to do business and not do business and my feelings on what I think the Constitution says. And again, people disagree on things, whether you're a lawyer or not. But um, I believe that if somebody says we have the First Amendment right to practice our religion any way we see fit, it guarantees that protection. And some people believe that, well, if you start a 
business, you give up. No, you don't. No, you don't. And there's no exclusion for that in there. And I've used, I've tried to use opposite views to point it out. But if somebody says it's against my religious belief to take part in your whatever it is, and in many cases it has something to do with same-sex marriage, um, you have an absolute right to do that. And if the community is outraged and they don't frequent your business and you lose your business, that's what the business – but the government can't force you to do it or close your business. That's my feeling. And I've used a lot of different things in response. I've said should you – should a should a Muslim uh, caterer be forced to cook and serve pork when they don't? That's part of their religious belief that they don't do that. Should a uh, should someone who is uh, is adamantly pro-choice be forced to cater an event for a pro-life movement? I don't believe the. I think the answer is no. They should be able to say I, that's against my beliefs. I, I don't want any part in that. And I wouldn't want somebody working for me. I wouldn't want to pay good money, especially for a wedding, as expensive as they are, to have you participate in my ceremony if you're not bought in. I, it's it's, it's fr- uh, stressful enough. And here's an example of that. Um, the story was that there was a group, a Christian group, that was having a, a dinner at a restaurant. They had scheduled it. They had reserved the room or the place, the table, and they were going to have their meeting and an event at this restaurant. And the LGBTQ employees of the restaurant said, we don't want to work that party. We're not going to work that party. We're not going to go in there because they don't believe in same-sex marriage. They don't believe in keeping abortion legal. They go against everything we believe in, and we don't want to serve them. So the restaurant owner, right before the event was supposed to happen, shut it down and told these people, we're really sorry, but we can't accommodate you. One of the people that heads up that group um, wrote an op-ed piece. And here's the headline. My Christian group was denied service at a restaurant, but we didn't weaponize government over this offense. The people who shout tolerance at others should learn to practice it. What they did was they moved on. Part of it is, okay, I don't know how many people were supposed to be at this event, and I don't even know if this story tells how many people were supposed to be at this event. But if a restaurant in the economic world we live in now – Wants to say, listen, um, you know, we're doing this because we need the money. But if they want to turn the money away, let them spend their money at a place that wants to cook their meal, that's happy to serve them. And that's exactly what this group did, just like every same-sex couple out there that is getting married. If there's somebody that doesn't want to do your invitations or your website or your flowers or your cake or whatever else, you have every opportunity to go somewhere else and shout from the rooftops what a bigot this business is that they didn't want your business. Nothing wrong with that. And let the market dictate what happens next. But the idea that because – and this is coming from people that spent years and years and years on the opposite side of this argument saying to the people that had control and saying, listen, just because your moral views don't agree with ours doesn't mean you get to influence how I live my life. We want to be left alone. And the laws agreed with them in the same-sex marriages that if you're going to give licenses to straight couples, you got to give them to gay couples. Now, I have become more and more libertarian as I've gotten older in my views on marriage and other things I don't think the government should be involved in. There's no way you're ever going to convince me now as a grown man that if I were to find someone, fall in love and be commit myself to a relationship and a marriage with her in front of witnesses and God is my judge that this is going to be my wife, you can't tell me if I don't have a $65 license for Maricopa County, I'm not really married. Okay? That's ridiculous to me. Marriage is a right. 
R-I-T-E. It's a religious right. It's not an R-I-G-H-T. And I don't think the government should be involved in it. They get themselves involved and they say, well, it's legal reasons. Well, there's not, that's not true. Yeah, a marriage is a contract like anything else. And if you say you're married and we want a divorce now, you can go into court and say, we did say vows. We did promise that it was going to be forever. And it's not working out. The courts could settle it exactly like that. That doesn't mean I change my moral views or my moral compass. I'm saying I don't think the government has a right to step in and do those things. That if you say we are going to legally, and it's ridiculous to me, but we are the ones that are going to say that you are legally married or you're not legally married, you can't exclude a group of people. Whether it's a same-sex marriage or it's an interracial marriage or it's anything that other people have fought about and said was the wrong thing to do in the past, you can't do it. And at the same time, now that that's been settled, you can't force someone to say it's okay. You can't force someone to agree with you. You can't force someone to condone or endorse what you're doing or participate. It's a two-way street. Funny thing about freedom and freedom of choice and freedom of belief and freedom of religion is it's a two-way street. Sometimes you like it, sometimes you don't, but you can't change it. They have a right to those beliefs. Coming up uh, just after 11 o'clock, we're going to talk about the economy, the Federal Reserve with the rate hike that has happened. What will it mean because there's more coming and what is it doing to the stock market? We're going to talk about all of it next.